If you're here today, we're, we're going to be kind of going through uh, Revelation, uh, talking about just uh, the Greek verses and, and walking through what the covenants mean. So thank you all for coming. Glad you all are here. You all are at the right one, right? Isn't that what we're teaching here? Thanks. Uh, let me pray for us. Lord, we do thank you for who you are, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have. Uh, just to be a part of what you're about. Lord, I pray that uh, as we have open conversations today, that you would show up in all of our lives in bigger ways than we allow you, that we would get out of the way more often. And Lord, we know that you don't need any of us to do anything, and yet you continue to use us. So thank you for the opportunity uh, just to be with each other. In Christ's name, amen. Well, welcome. My name is Brett Johnston, and this is my wife, Sherry Johnston. And uh, we have three daughters. We have a 23-year-old, a 21-year-old, and a 19-year-old. And uh, we are very, very passionate about this this idea of, of purity and, and what that means. And uh, we'll tell you a little bit of our story. But first, I just want to talk about um, some of the things that we used early on as we start talking about this very subject. And, and let me just say, no matter how old your kids are, it's never too early and it's never too late to start having these kinds of conversations. And, and obviously that's an age-appropriate conversation depending on how old your kids are. But it's really never too early, never too late to start modeling and having this kind of communication uh, as you begin to unfold some of these things. And we're going to tell you today mostly from the perspective of a girl parent because we don't have boys, uh, but all this stuff really applies to girls or to guys as well. And having older girls, I've been able to be on the parenting side of some of the boys that have been around. Uh, some of those stories have been really great and some of them have really not been. Um, but it's all been good and we've grown through it. So um, there's some statistics that somebody put together, and it basically says that by the time your child is 18, that you've spent $160,140. That's what it costs to raise the normal child from 0 to 18, and that's before you even consider college. So this is a huge investment, uh, and not just financially, but it talks about, and then it, this thing goes on, it says it's $8,896 a year, $741 a month, or $171 a week. That's just $24 a day or a dollar an hour. But there's no way to put a price tag on it. Feeling a new life move for the first time and seeing the bump of a knee rippling across your skin. Having someone cry, it's a boy, or shout, it's a girl. Then hearing the baby wail and knowing all the matter, uh, all that matters is that it's healthy. Counting all ten fingers and toes for the first time. Cupping an entire head in the palm of your hand. Naming rights, first, middle, and last. Glimpses of God every day, giggles under the covers at night, more love than your heart can hold, butterfly kisses, Velcro hugs. You guys know all the things that, that you have uh, with the kids. And it's just an amazing um, thing that God allows us and gives us this little thing to, to raise up. And I remember very specifically and uh, being scared to death. We had our first child when I was 25. And I was in the hospital, and uh, a little bit of my story is that I, I was raised uh, in a family where my parents were divorced when I was six months old, so I didn't have a dad around. I really never had male leadership in my life. Became a Christian through young life in high school, but it wasn't really till my freshman year in college that I really started walking with the Lord. And uh, 
even at that point, didn't have a, much, a bunch of male leadership in my life. And I knew that I had to look at God's Word. And I knew that there was big holes in my game as being a parent. How was I going to ever do that? How was I going to be a husband? How was I even going to be a good friend? And so I really had to look at God's Word. And God's Word is so instructive. Okay, the, the answers to everything we do is in here. And we all know that, right? But it's not a how-to book. And sometimes we treat God's Word like a how-to book. It's really a why book, right? And if you figure out the why, then the how-to, there's some how-to in there as well, but the how-to comes more naturally. And I remember at 26 years, 25 years old, uh, walking through the hospital, Sherry just given birth to our first daughter. I'm, she's in the little, you know, class bassinet and the name and with all the other kids, and you're looking at her and... And I was walking down the hall, and I was just overwhelmed with fear. And I just thought, how in the world am I going to be able to do this? I don't know anything about being a parent. My parents were not uh, that active in my life, to say the least. Not that present in my life, to say the least. And uh, there was a little chapel, and I remember going in this chapel and just crying out to God, just saying, how in the world am I going to parent this little girl? And he said, you will parent her the same way I parented you. And I thought, I mean, it wasn't audible or anything. Don't get me wrong. I didn't actually hear him say that. Uh, but I just felt that he really impressed that upon my heart through his word. And so I, I just realized, okay, God, I can do this. And I really started looking at God's word and what it had to say about different things. Well, part of my background also is that I'm an, I was an art major in college and philosophy and just kind of on the... I don't even know what side of the brain that is, but it's the one that doesn't think very analytically. Um, and so I'm always looking for a creative way to tell something or, or kind of paint a picture. And so I learn by stories. I learn by pictures. Um, and not necessarily statistics, uh, but sometimes statistics can certainly help and in, in grow us. Um, but we just have always thought that the, the best way to communicate anything is really through stories and pictures but especially with kids there's some really creative ways uh, to begin doing that so why don't you tell a little bit about your story okay well I was pretty much raised the opposite of Brett intact family very loving but um, not pretty passive on my dad's side and loved me to death doted on but not a lot of instruction not a lot of training and Looking at the purity side of life, I feel like um, the way it was done was like if you had a 16-year-old and you just threw him the car keys and said, okay, be safe, and no instruction, no training, nothing. That's kind of how I felt um, as far as that goes. And so I knew kind of what was expected of me, but, um, you know, I was a third born. I dated really young, and um, I never had good boundaries in that in that area because... I'm not going to put any blame there, but just really, be, I didn't have very much instruction. So I'm going to kind of read a little of my story because I can't get through it talking about it. Um, but when I was 15, I gave my virginity away to an older boy, and I did this in secrecy, dating this boy against my parents' will. And there was not a lot of leadership in my home, and I followed my own way. It happened suddenly. It was not planned out, and I was not prepared or equipped to handle this choice um, a couple of years later, like Brett, um, I didn't become a believer at the Young Life. I trusted Christ at a church camp, but I was very involved in Young Life through high school and college. And at a Young Life retreat in high school, 
I heard a guy talk about purity um, really for the first time in an open way. And um, I, he just said that God is a God of second chances, that you, that does not have to define you. And um, I knew this would be a big deal in my future relationships. I was kind of moving on to college and really didn't want that part to define me. I wanted a second chance in that area. And um, so right away when I met Brett, we met early in college, I told him about my past and wanted it to be a real openness there. And um, he showed me nothing but grace, just like, I mean, I had already confessed to the Lord and felt forgiven and seen grace there, and I saw it again with Brett. And, um, and so, you know, you struggle with how much to share with your kids when they're little, and you don't know if that time will ever come. Well, our thirdborn asked me point blank about my past, and I, I kind of came clean with her and then had an opportunity to tell all of my girls. And um, whereas I thought I would lose respect in their sight, I think I gained it because of how I dealt with it. It wasn't the choice I made, but it was the fact that I was going to be real. I was going to tell them the consequences and the pain of that decision, and they could learn from me and not have to go through that themselves. And so... Um, Anyway, this is such a big part of why Brett and I are so passionate about getting this right with our kids and how we feel so passionate about sharing this with you guys. Um, so if you're out there this morning with a similar story, men or women, and just don't know how to proceed, um, I'd love to talk with you about it. But um, anyway, there's just real freedom in not keeping that just that secret inside of you. And so um, that's where I found life in and Christ's forgiveness for that. But that is a lot of why we wanted to do this differently. And sometimes our girls might think we're a little bit too, too oh, let's talk about this. We, we want to get it out in the open, and we've had some great discussions, and at times it's been awkward, and yet we push through because we, we just feel so passionate about it. So that's a little of my story. Good. Um, some of the things that Sherry was just talking about, it's really important that you do communicate with your kids. I promise you, if you don't, someone will. And so, and, and, and I promise you also, it's a lot earlier than you think it is. If you're asking uh, when to have the conversation, it might already be, they might already be hearing it, uh, depending on how old they are, obviously. But, I mean, they're hearing stuff in first and second grade that, None of us, or at least we're older than everyone in here, but we didn't hear in first and second grade. I didn't hear until probably high school. And now a lot of the stuff just through media and other things, I mean, you're hearing lots of things really early. So just know that someone's going to have this conversation uh, with your child. It would be a lot better coming from you. And the other thing that I'm really passionate about is having dads being involved in daughters' lives and moms being involved in sons' lives. There's a tendency within the the church, and when you talk about purity and some of the stuff that Dennis and Barbara Rainey have written, which it's great stuff, it's all really good stuff, but they have a tendency to kind of segment it out. Moms go do this with with daughters and dads go do this with sons. And, And I think a dad and a son need to have those conversations, but a daughter needs a dad to have some of these conversations too. A daughter can learn from her dad how a guy thinks much better than a mom can teach a daughter how a guy thinks. And so think of creative ways um, to communicate these kinds of things. When I was in seminary, I had a professor 
and my kids were little bitty and he told the story and he was just telling stories about his kids uh, and he said when his children were little he came up with this thing he and his wife called the, the three nothings and it was nothing lying down nothing comes off and nothing below the neck and my first response to that was well, some of those are kind of obvious aren't they and as he began to talk about it, he said, you know, we started this when our kids were little bitty. He said, I actually had a, a sticker made, and it, a magnetic sticker, and it was on our refrigerator, and it said three nothings. And I had it up there for a week or two before anybody even asked about it. And then my kids started saying, three nothings? What, what is that? What are three nothings? And at the time, his daughter was probably seven or eight years old, and they started, his oldest, and they started having these conversations. Well, fast forward, uh, she goes into junior high, and she starts... Um, well, let me back up for a second. So his point behind the three nothings were, were that he remembered growing up in the church, junior high, you know, you're in a big room and there's a whole bunch of people and there's 20 guys and girls and you're all sitting around and you're watching TV and the shoes come off and the coats come off and you're laying around, you know, watching a movie or whatever, or you're sitting in a circle massaging each other's shoulders. You see a lot of that kind of stuff in youth groups. And, you know, it's 15 people, then it's 12 people, then it's 8 people, then it's 3 people, then it's 2 people, and then there's this awkward moment. And so it occurs to me, he said, that kids aren't prepared, that, that all of a sudden, sometimes the first time you ever think about kissing a boy is at the door when he's saying goodnight. And then all of a sudden, you've let that go, and you've not really had the opportunity to really think about that. Or the first time, uh, you know, you've held a hand, or the first, you know, sitting on each other's laps. A lot of that kind of stuff becomes very commonplace because you don't really think through it. And so his point was, is just really think through it. And he's the one that said that line, you would never throw your kids at 16 a, a set of car keys and say, have fun, be safe. You know, you train them. And yet, I think as, a, as a, the world, our family, my family, her family, uh, and the church as a whole in the past has not done a great job of equipping our children through this process and what it looks like early and talking about modesty and, and dress and all those kinds of things. So anyhow, he goes through this process and his daughters you know, kind of roll their eyes about every time he talks, just as mine did when we had a lot of these conversations early on. Um, and she turned about 14 or 15, and there was this young man that went to their church. This guy happened to be a pastor. And uh, the young boy came to his house and, you know, was kind of starting to hang around with the girl. And, and so he said to the girl, have you had the conversation? His name was, well, I don't know his name, but we'll say it was John, just so we can tell the story. Uh, so he says, have you talked to John about the three nothings? Yes, Dad, I have. I've talked to him about those. Great. And so John came over for dinner one night, and the grandmother was in town. And so they were all sitting there at the table, and his mom and dad and two younger sisters, a younger brother, the oldest daughter, and this, this boy that was 15. And so right there in the middle of the table, he says, So John, I understand that, that uh, Susie here is talking about the three nothings. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. He said, Great. W- what are they? <laughs> no, nothing lying down. What do they mean to you? And so, you know, what he did is he just kind of exposed this conversation. I'm not recommending you do that. But, so as the conversation went on, you know, it was really awkward. The daughter was really mad at the dad, really angry at the dad. Fast forward, they kept dating. Um, the, the girl had a purity ring, and, and the boy, you know, they, so they kept dating. They did it all the way through high school. Dad kept having these conversations. And this boy was from a, a single mom home. He didn't have a dad at home. 
and so the, the, this guy continued to ask him questions, continued to hold him accountable. And they ended up going to Baylor, and he said, hey, now you're going down to Baylor. You're going to be out from, under, from people being able to see you. You need to raise the bar on those kinds of things. They dated all through college. They dated all right after college. They got married. And when she walked down the aisle, uh, right, you know, when they said, who gives this woman, her mother and I, and that thing, she turns and she faces the crowd and she takes her purity ring off and she asks her dad, give me your hand. And so right there, and I always cry when I tell this part, (laughs) right there she said, my dad did this stupid queer thing when I was eight years old. And I stand before you today that I have been pure. And it's because of his stupid little thing that he did. And it, it embarrassed me along the way. But it gave me a vision for what this should look like. And this is a great gift. And so, then the boy does the same thing. He takes his purity ring off and he gives it to the dad and says the same story. And so just what a great picture. I thought, I want that. I want that for my daughters. Well, the story even goes on the next morning. Uh... The night after, you know, they're at the hotel, and they're in a hotel room where there's a bed by the phone and a bed by the desk. And so the two kids get on the phone to call mom and dad and just tell them, what a great gift you gave us. And they talked about it very openly, just like, you're right, dad, waiting was great, the sex is awesome. You know, and, and it wasn't this awkward moment because they got to have those conversations along the way. And it was this vision that they painted for their kids at an early age. So I said, okay, i got to get some of that. Now, we didn't do the three nothings because that was his. I did my own thing. And do the three nothings if you want. Do your own thing, whatever. But we just started looking for really creative ways um, for us to continue to have those conversations. So. And uh, <clears throat> well, one of them was just like my part at home, just looking at everyday things and, you know, taking an apple and cutting it and talking about the seeds and, oh, you came from a seed and... Uh, just you can start at a really early age kind of planning those concepts. Um, Mary Flo Ridley, who is a friend of mine from another church, does a great talk on telling little bitty ones. And so I think she has tapes and I think she still does that places. But just kind of capturing those moments and, you know, outside, trees, acorns, just kind of little bitty ones, animals. I mean, you can just... Uh, kittens are great for that. Kittens are great. So just, you know... Be creative, not not in an overly way with little ones, but just kind of planting those seeds. Um, and then, really, we we caught the vision for the purity ring pretty early. So by five or six, it was a really cheap date for Brett to grab one of the girls and go, let's just go look at rings. We're not going to buy anything today, but this kind of the concept of this is what we're heading towards when you get to be a teenager. It's we're going to give you a ring and we're going to talk about that. But they just started looking at They knew I had a wedding ring, but they didn't. You know, just the concept of the purity ring was kind of planted um, in on that. And then... And let me just say on that ring, it was great because not only was it a cheap date, but, you know, they're beginning to think through the process. You talk about a ring. Why does mom have a ring? How this is a symbol. It's a token of a commitment that we have. It's, it's not a contract, right? But it's a covenant that we made for oneness. And this is a covenant that you'll make with God for oneness with Him until such time as you provide the spouse. 
and it was funny my oldest you know we'd go to Tiffany's and, and most of the people at the jewelry stores kind of get it and they're, they'll have fun with you and my youngest she just wanted this giant diamond that's what she was going to have as her period ring this big old diamond and this guy put it on her you know it was a $5,000 ring and said, oh, that's really great you know I didn't have to explain to her it was going to be more of a James Avery silver ring I figured by the time she was 12 she'd kind of get that but at five years old she could that's what I want and it was just so much fun and, and they you know they would talk about the ring and it, and it just became this symbol of something for the future and uh so that was that was a lot of what we started gearing up for and the other thing that we kind of have always talked about is Brett would say we're not going to be silly around boys I mean we happen to be a household of all girls and so we didn't have a bunch of little boys in our house much but we weren't going to play games and dress up where okay let's pretend like they're getting married and you know we just decided boys we can have friends we can learn from them there are you know there are brothers in the Lord when they're later but um, we're just not going to be silly about that um, and uh, and also just the, the whole idea of modesty and just how you can dress especially daughters as far as when they're four and what you put on them it's cute at four it's not that cute at 14 so just kind of gearing you know gearing down to what you think is appropriate for older not that you dress them older but that you're not ever just you know putting that concept that we we wear whatever we want we wear clothes for a certain reason and for modesty um, and one of the and we had one that this would not keep her clothes on. I mean, she was just naked all the time and she, 18 she, month she old, running out of the house, you know. And we she, had to work on just getting her dressed. Yeah, we had to just work on just modesty. Like the reason you're supposed to cover yourself, you know, and talk about those kinds of things. And, and yeah, it was cute at 18 months. It's not cute at 18. <laughs> so, and one of the best things, um, you know, we could talk about modesty and we could talk about what that looks like, but one of the best things that I think we did is Brett decided one day to take him to the mall. I mean, that's when you have teenagers, I don't know where, how old your kids are, but they love to go to the mall, and of course you have to go with them for a long time. But um, he sat outside around Victoria's Secret, and he just said, I just want you to kind of watch the guys as they pass these billboards, you know, of the kind of provocative ladies at Victoria's Secret. And so they would just kind of, you know, watch these men who would, you know, tend to have a double take and linger. And, and he just said, you know, this is, this is not the creepy guy, this is... This is, you know, this is how guys are wired, and this is why it's here, and this is why we're asking you and telling you the best thing for you is to dress modestly and um, appropriately. And it's, it's, you know, we know we don't want you to be unfashionable, but you're dressing for bigger reasons. And um, you came up with that HBO, help a brother out. I mean, just dress so that you're not having your guy friend stumble and how you how you are looking and so that kind of started at an early age too you can't have those conversations at 15 those don't go well unless you have been having those along the way and um, they definitely even got to the point with bathing suits I couldn't tell because I'm not a guy and I can't really tell what's sometimes appropriate and what's not so they would just go straight to Brett and go is this okay dad and I got kind of taken out of the, the picture and you know I know if there's single moms I mean you can have some guy friends that can help you out on that because it's just hard as a woman to be able to have those conversations when especially they get to those teenage years so build that into them yeah and let me just add on that one and it's still with with guys too with boys it's the same things having those same conversations because being modest 
is not just a girl thing, right? It's a guy thing too. And especially in today's world where you see all these provocative ads and it goes both ways on this. But if, it, just to add a little to that story, when, when that happened, this was back when North Park, when Victoria's Secret and Abercrombie and Fitch were right together. And I don't know if you remember, Abercrombie and Fitch used to have these really provocative ads where the guy was wearing like these cut off pants and they're halfway down and she's reaching around and grabbing him and you could see that she didn't have anything on. It's just this real kind of over the top big poster that's right out in front in the mall. And so we sat there and as these guys walked by, it, you, we weren't there for one minute before you just started just hearing some of the things guys were saying. And, and they got mad. Whitney, my oldest, she goes, I cannot believe that they would say those kinds of things. I said, well, Whitney, you notice some of the guys stop and looking and they may have enough class to not say it, but they're thinking it. And I said, and these are not the losers of the world. These are, this is your dad. This is your uncle. This is your cousin. These are boys you know. I mean, they weren't literally boys we knew, but just the idea that, and if you dress like that, that's what guys will think. And from then on, we hardly ever had conversations about those kinds of things. So when, when they would go and buy, um, and they would tell each other, you know, you need to ask that about that. Even today, just the other day, our 23-year-old, she went to a wedding, and she came out and said, Dad, what do you think? Is this short, this dress? She's real tall. She's almost what, 5'11 now. So she goes, this dress, is this a little too short? I said, yeah, I think it's a little too short. And she went and took it off. And, you know, that's just a great thing. And, and the reason is, I think, it's because I didn't make myself the fashion police. I picked a creative way to help her learn that so she saw it for herself. And I, I hear lots of stories where dads are just, you know, turn around, go take that off. And, the, and it's this constant battle. And that's, that's better than letting them go out. I agree with that. But just try to figure out creative ways to teach these things. So. And really, you know, if, if your child is listening to your husband, if you're married, um, back him up on that. I mean, sometimes I would kind of... You know, isn't that okay? I mean, I could feel myself, but I just had to kind of work through that because they're going to look to the mom for the the uh, nonverbal cue there. So um, just kind of tend to back them up. Um, let me add, on the on your book list. There's a book there from Meg Meeker that's called uh, Strong Daughters, Strong Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, and she's a psychologist. And, and the book is not necessarily written. Well, it's not written from a Christian perspective at all. And so there's a lot of stuff in there that I don't completely buy into. In fact, in, in any of those books, there's going to be things that we're all going to probably not completely buy off on. So just know that I, I'm not endorsing everything that's in all these books that I'm telling you about. But that one in particular talks a lot about the relationship and the way that a, a, a young man and a young woman see themselves later is, is directly relational to the relationship they had with their opposite sex parent. And so daughters that are that think highly of themselves and are, are strong in how they carry themselves have a really good relationship with their dad and they've, they've been able to have those kinds of conversations along the way, just reinforcing that kind of stuff. So, um... Um, it, it does have some of that. It's mainly about daughters, but it does have some of that in there as well. She's written, she's one, I think, the Has she? Okay, good. So it's probably that Meg Meeker is the is the uh, author. Um, well, the main thing 
that I would want to emphasize, and we've talked some about it, is just that this happens along the way. And, um, you know, the passage in Deuteronomy 6 where, you know, you train your child as you're walking, as you're sitting, as you're eating, and just um, in a real natural way. And I think it's great to have those more intense conversations later, but just to start that process. Um, and this is maybe where we are in life because none of our kids are home now. But um, I was walking my two labs uh, before I did the purity talk for the burden uh, for the building blocks team, I guess a few months ago. And I'm thinking that we had this eight-year-old, the perfect dog lab, and this two-year-old, the Marley of labs, just awful, awful. And we have the choke collar on this one, and we have barely a, you know, a leash on this one. And you're walking along, and I just thought, this is kind of how it is with, you know, training kids and, and kind of what we're talking about. That choke collar is intense training, and you're talking to them all the time, and just, this is your time to train. And this older dog, if I put that choke collar on him, he would become embittered, turn around and pride and bite me for the first time. I mean, it's just not appropriate. He doesn't need it, and he's not going to listen. So just at some point, that's why we're passionate about when you're young, because at some point, and I don't know where it is, but um, our girls at the ages they are still come to us, but our time of training is over. And so we don't want to embitter them. We, We definitely want to still have a voice in their life and and have them come to us and and they've come to us and and said some things and you're like oh I wish I didn't know that but they're still coming to us um but that training's over so that's just where like Brett said it's never too early and it's never too late you can still have those conversations but not in the same way um that actually ties into this the next story that I'm going to tell one of the things I think as Christians, we probably do a pretty good job on the physical promiscuity. I think we all kind of know not to go there. But where I don't think we do a good job is the emotional promiscuity. And I think there's a lot more emotional promiscuity that goes on. So um, at, at some age, attention from boys is just inappropriate at all, I would say. And so it doesn't mean you're not friends with boys, but it's just there's an age when boys are learning about their sexuality and girls are learning about their sexuality, for them to spend a lot of time together one-on-one is probably never going to be a good thing. And so it's about group ideas and thoughts. And so it doesn't mean that you don't have friends. I mean, don't get me wrong there. I'm not saying that you sequester them because you, you grow up re- socially retarded kids that way too. Um, but I do think that there's a there's kind of a, a passing. But, but as long as you talk about these things and what God talks about, and we talked about from a very early age that, that God thinks sex is great, right? I mean, it is a gift from Him. And we talk a lot about a lot of God's gifts and how they're blessings to us. But when we take them from out of God's protection, they're never a blessing to us. And that's really how Satan jacks with all of us, isn't it? I mean, he takes something that's really great from God and just twists it a little bit to where it's... And then you kind of go... Uh, how did this change? You know, and, and what I, I see a lot with some of the um, stuff that w- we've been involved in reengage and we've done premarital and marital counseling kind of stuff for years. And one of the things I constantly hear from folks is, you know, growing up, grew up in a Christian family, I always heard sex was bad, sex was bad, sex was bad. And then all of a sudden I get married and, and it's supposed to be great. Well, it's not. I mean, it's just this weird thing now. 
And so having those conversations early with them to where they can understand all of these are blessings. Having a relationship with a boy is a blessing. But we talked about how do you protect your heart. So that's one of those things. So how do you protect your heart? Um, my 21-year-old has been dating a boy for four and a half years, and they're getting very serious. My guess is that they'll probably get married here in the next year. Uh, they're actually doing the premarital class right now. And they started dating when they were juniors in high school. And this young man came to my office and asked if he could take her to homecoming. And we allowed him to, you know, I kind of gave him the dad talk. Uh, and then a couple weeks later, he came back and said, you know, I really want to pursue a relationship with her. I said, great, tell me what your plan is. And you wouldn't believe what this boy said. He said, I'm going to protect your daughter physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Okay, I'm listening. <laughs> he said, how am I going to protect her physically is, is I'm not going to be in places where we can't be interrupted. I'm not going to linger at the door. And, you know, we're not going to kiss. You know, we're not going to have passionate, you know, maybe a peck on the cheek. And even that'll be down the road. And so, okay, great, got that one. And he said, how am I going to protect her emotionally is I'm not going to say things high school boys shouldn't say. And that was that whole emotional promiscuity thing. You know, there are certain things that God holds for marriage sexually, but there's also certain things God holds for marriage emotionally. And, and he was aware of that. So he says, I'm not going to, the way he said it is, I'm not going to say stupid things that a 17-year-old boy shouldn't say, like, I love you, or you're the greatest girl in the world, or you're the most beautiful woman in the world. And because I don't know what any of those things mean. So I'm just going to stay away from saying those. And then how he said he was going to protect her spiritually is that he was not going to make her his accountability partner. I thought that was good. He said because, and again, in the same way, you, you can have promiscuity in the spiritual side too, right? There's certain things that, there's a certain intimacy when you start praying together. And I'm not saying you should never pray with someone you're dating, but you should limit it. It shouldn't be these deep prayer. It shouldn't be in Bible study together in the beginning of your relationship. Because there's an intimacy that is there. And, and that gives you this false sense of, of oneness in other areas, even though it may not be sexually. It can give you a false sense of oneness emotionally or a false sense of oneness spiritually. And so, did, did that kind of answer that question? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll keep talking, and if you think of a, a, a different way to ask, or I can think of a different way to answer. Um, I'm a big believer in using the right words, the right terminology. Uh, using the little words that we use when little kids, you know, they grow up and they still use those words. It just kind of gets awkward. So um, I, I think you could probably tell them more than you think you can tell them. But I also would try to, my deal was I, I would always ask, answer any question asked. And there is a balance. Sometimes, you know, you hear the story about the little girl that asked her dad where he came from and he talks about the fallopian tubes and all this stuff. She goes, no, I meant like, was I born in Dallas? <laughs> and you know you don't want to just back up the truck with stuff they're not yet asking but and you'll see little signs of that in your kids and my youngest was a lot more inquisitive really early and our oldest one I mean she literally would cover run. her ears and run out of the room at 11 and 12 when we'd have these conversations and so we'd have to kind of start over Whitney we have to have this conversation and uh you know, and, and, and they became, as they got older, I mean, we, one of the things I challenged my girls with when they were 13, I started saying, I want you to know, how far are you going to go with a boy? Dad, you can't ask that question. 
well, yeah. That was so awkward in the beginning. Even yeah. for me, I just thought, oh, I can't believe it. She was, what do you mean, how far am I going to go with the boy? I said, how far are you going to go? And I said, you don't want it to be deciding at the, in the car or at the, at the door. How far are you going to go with the boy? And so, you know, she started, she, she didn't tell me at that moment, but she started thinking about it. And later she did tell me. We actually got to do a this together. We did a father-daughter, we used to do the father-daughter retreat at Pine Cove. And we would give this talk together. And so she, you know, grew through those years. And, and she was great with all that at, at some point. The youngest one, early on, I mean, she just, Dad, what's a condom? You know, how often do you and Mom have sex? Just those kinds of questions. We had to tell her, please, no more questions. (laughs) Once you hold on to those a little bit longer. Yeah. And if you're going to also, when you ask those questions, you need to know, you don't need to ask them at the dinner table in front of our whole family. Other people don't really want to know the answers to those questions. So, (laughs) But a lot of times your youngest is the age. I think in everything, your youngest just kind of learns. I mean, they're watching siblings, and so they, they just know more than your oldest did at that point. Yeah. Um, two answers there. And by the way, this is great. Ask any question and it, it, we'll get to it right then or later or whatever. So we want this to be very interactive. Um, a couple things there. One, I would probably try to get other people with you and your husband to try to understand why your husband is really uncomfortable with that. So that's that'd be the first thing is maybe try to figure that out with community around you and stuff. But in terms of, of telling your kids, I think you ought to tell that kind of stuff earlier than later. There's nothing worse than a kid hearing that kind of stuff from other people. And it really uh, makes them not trust you. And that's what happens later in life. I mean, I heard all kinds of stuff in high school about uh, my mother and her past. And it really, really bugged me. And I went through several years of just completely despising her because of the deceit and, you know, at least that's how I felt. So, I, I, and it wouldn't, I'm not saying yours is deceit. My mom's was clearly deceit. There were some things that were really big that I needed to know that would have made a big difference to me to have known earlier. But uh, I just, I just a big believer in answering questions as they're asked. My eight-year-old asked me, or my 19-year-old asked me when she was eight, you know, Dad, did you ever do drugs? And I had to have that conversation with her. And, and she just sat there and she was shaking her head. I go, why are you shaking your head? She goes, she goes I think I've lost respect for you. It's like, it's one of the consequences that I get to have. And then later she came back and said, you know, knowing the family you grew up in, I, I kind of get, and this is a little eight-year-old, nine-year-old girl telling me these things. And she, yeah. goes, and she goes, no, I, I think I understand now. You know, so they'll get through that, um, any of those things. But I just think it's important, um, age appropriate. You don't want to, again, unload the wagon on stuff that they may not be able to handle. But And, there, and there's also a way to tell it that's probably age appropriate versus going into a, a lot of those details. But kids are really, really, really resilient. And they're very capable of handling uh, more abstract stuff. Sherry was scared to death to talk to our girls about um, the story she just told y'all because she didn't know how they would handle it. And in fact, just it, it really helped them. You know? And so I always say to my kids, don't have the scars I have. You, you get to go through this life and, and learn from someone who was a total idiot in the things that I've done. And so know that you don't have to have those scars. Tell them the stories. I just never was afraid to tell them those stories. 
and, and we have some doozies. Trust me, <laughs> I do. I have some real doozies to tell them. So, so gay or whatever, but how do you how do you answer that? Um, I, I try to figure out a creative way to answer any of those things, but just uh, my youngest one asked all this: When can I kiss a boy? And I always said, I think you'll know when you're supposed to kiss a boy. You know, why are you trying to figure that out right now? And uh, there's a lot of books out there. One of the books is, you know, I kissed dating goodbye or I gave dating a chance or all these things. I wouldn't get caught up on the terminology. God's real clear on what he calls us to, right? He says, look up, uh, is it 2 Timothy 5? One and two. Do you mind, or someone, read that? This is what I, I told all the boys that dated my daughters before the date. Hi. I'm sorry. First Timothy five. Sorry. One. <laughs> First Timothy five one says it says do not rebuke an older man but rather appeal to him as a father younger men as brethren it says the older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters in all purity in other words men treat women as though they are your sister or your mother until they're not your sister or your mother and so I always tell the boys if you're going to treat her like she's your sister there's certain things you're not going to think about you're not going to talk about you're not going to do and so those are the conversations you can have with a little kid. In the same way, when, when God has someone for you, you'll know what the right thing is. There's not a rule, there's not a prohibition against kissing, right? It doesn't say don't kiss. But that's kind of a guideline right there. I mean, I've never made out with my sister. Never done it. <laughs> and uh, that usually gets the point across. There's actually a video that Wagner did a few years ago uh, that starts out with this kind of leave it to beaver black and white picture and this little boy it's not a boy but it's a man kind of playing the part but it's a little play and, and, and uh, it's actually isn't it Chris Bone and his wife <laughs> and so he comes in and 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 he really is playing the part in Leave it to Beaver and he's getting ready for school he's eating breakfast and he juts out the door and mom says Beaver aren't you forgetting something and he comes back he goes yeah and he gets his lunch and leaves again Beaver aren't you forgetting something and he comes back yes mom and he kisses her on the cheek and then he kisses her on the lips. And then he just starts making out with her. And then, and then the screen goes black and then this verse comes up. And it says, men treat women, older women like your mothers, and younger women like your sisters. And it was at a singles conference. And he said, and everybody in the room was just like, oh. Sorry, I'm not supposed to do that. But everybody was just, and he goes, everybody got it? Any questions about what God has to say about this kind of stuff. <laughs> and so th- those, th- that's kind of a, a clarifying moment. And uh, I actually showed that uh, to a high school group of kids uh, at K-Life. And I got the same reaction that uh, the singles people got. But it's just, it's, it's a great, vivid makes picture. Yeah, it makes the point. Yeah. Uh, we have a great question. Yeah, that's a good question. What would you say? <laughs> No, I think um, I think talking to her. I mean, it would be an okay conversation with the guys too. But she needs to know that you know that may be just reserved for daddy, and um, you know at some point, which is it's kind of hard because the three-year-old is watching too. But just to have those those boundaries, I think just with the opposite sex and just 
kind of building into that because it's going to only continue. But, um, yeah, I think the conversation's mainly, yeah, with her. Is that what you think? And, and, yeah, I mean, there's just, everything's a balance to me. Uh, I'm kind of a yes, both and kind of than an either or type person. And so I would just look for ways to not be too black and white about certain things and legalistic and let it kind of let her. Self-discovery is always better, right, for all of us. And maybe you can paint a picture in her mind that will allow her to grasp what you're saying without, because she may not, she's not going to quite grasp that if you just say, hey. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I I wouldn't make a huge deal out of it, and I would just figure out a way to communicate that to her in, in a way that only yeah. she could understand. I remember the first time, like with Whitney, we ever talked about stranger danger. I mean, she was freaked out to see anyone who, you know, she didn't know. And I thought, okay, wait, we got to taper this back a little. Because depending on the personality of your child, if they're real black and white, it's like, oh my, you know. So I would mm-hmm. just start having those conversations about what's appropriate and, yeah. And we have some funny stories where we probably took certain things. And, and became a little bit more legalistic, and later, you know, we kind of laughed at ourselves, and our kids laugh at us big time now Halloween about some of the. Halloween was a big one. The Halloween was one of those things that we were going to a school, and and I just, you know, I, I'm not throwing Halloween under the bus, and I'm not endorsing Halloween, but at that time, I was at this place where I was just like, we're not, we're not going to participate in Halloween. We'll just look for alternatives, but I didn't quite say it that nonchalantly I was more rigid in it and I remember we were at our house and trick-or-treaters showed up and she's like eight or nine years old and she freaked out like Dad, trick-or-treaters what are we gonna do what are we gonna do I was like what do you mean she goes, she goes well, they're, they're here, here. What are we? They're you know she was scared to death we had of the trick-or-treaters. Left before they came but they started coming so much and like, earlier and then I realized okay I've gone a little too far with this one yeah and so we had to sit down and have a conversation look there's nothing wrong with trick-or-treating we're just picking alternatives and, and later you know we kind of did it about face and used that as a chance to uh, outreach for other things but that's another conversation the other thing that we were um, pretty purposeful and intentional was about movies speaking at the school we went to it, they made it real easy because they didn't let the kids talk about the movies they watched which was a huge benefit when you're talking about maybe you're the parent that just doesn't let your kids see everything and then they don't feel left out but at a certain age, uh, you know, they started wanting to see movies, and we started going, okay, we don't really want to go see every movie with them. Or So there's so many websites, probably more now, but we looked at kidsinmind.com, and we you could get on there, and it would give a rating on, you know, sexual content, nudity, violence, words, profanity, and we, we started having them always always before they saw anything even G you got to go look on that and make your own decision I mean you, and then we'll talk about it and then at the age of 13 14 when they could start seeing PG-13 you need to be informed and um, you know they call us I'm at a slumber party and they're getting ready to watch it well have you have you gotten on the computer well no you know I can't find a computer so you know sometimes we'd look it up for them at home but basically it was their responsibility and that kind of you know the only thing worse than, you know, your kids being the only one not seeing it is just 
not having a guideline and not having them know how to make those decisions. And sometimes they'd come back and they'd go, I'm not going to go see it. And we'd kind of be thinking, well, I think we would have probably let them see it. But they had looked on the content and seen everything that was going to happen and they decided, I don't want to be with a group of friends and have that, you know, sitting with my guy friend from school and all of a sudden something come up. So that was a huge thing of training where they could start making some choices on their own. We could still talk about it. And, um, you know, our 21-year-old still does that. She'll still get on the computer because she just said, you know, I've in college there was this really awkward moment where there's a big group of kids and things came up and, you know, I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to go through that. So that's just a great thing and just I think having those images you know in their mind of things that they're just not ready for and the world will say 13 they can see some things but you know we just we are we're stricter than the world so. what was the first part of your question Um, you know, they so. they talk to their friends about it. We we happen to be at a Christian school where at least a lot of families were tracking. But it's a great conversation point about why, you know, I'm not going to see this because I don't want to fill my mind. And those verses in Philippians 4, um, we called them the whatever verses. We'd go, whatever, and that was the whatever verses. And whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is, I, I don't have it memorized honorable and trustworthy. I mean, those are the things to fill your mind with. And, you know, a lot of this is just, you know, it's just not. And the phase goes real quickly, like everybody's seeing it, and then really quickly people have moved on, and they're not the oddballs for not having seen that movie or gone to that thing. But um, it can be great conversations for them to have with their friends. You know, my parents just... But the question was, did, yeah. did we talk to our kids, no. friends, kids? So, uh, we do sometimes. I mean, we look for opportunities to do that, but it always gets a little weird when you start trying to parent other people's kids. Yeah. And so depending on the relationship we had with those people or with that kid, uh, I would try to ask them questions like, why, why do you want to see that movie? And, and sometimes I would print out the kids in my deal and hand it to one of their friends and say, this is why Audrey's decided not to see this movie. You might want to know why she's not seen it. And then she can look at it and read for herself what that movie's about and decide. But what we have found that whether you're in a Christian environment or not and you're hanging around with Christian kids or not, people are seeing stuff. I mean, they're all seeing stuff. And there's a lot of people out there that have different ideas on what kids should see than I have. And so... I'm not responsible for those kids necessarily, but I am responsible. I will give an account one day for how I've shepherded my children. And so uh, having them as prepared as they're able. And, and this kidsinmind.com is a great deal. I made a deal with them. I said, you can go see whatever movie you can legally see. When you're 13, you can go see any PG-13 movie. When you're 17, you can go see any R-rated movie you want to see. As long as you read this first, and you can look at me conscientiously and tell me, that you've prayed about it and you think that this is a good idea for you and, and God's with you in, in making that decision. Now, you, you know your kids. You'll have to decide if you think that's an appropriate thing. Some of my friends that have boys say, I would never do that with my 14-year-old boy because he would see everything. And, you know, he'd read it and go, yeah, I want to see that. <laughs> so you got to decide if that's the right deal to make with your kids or not. For us, it was the right deal. It worked really well for us. So, yes. Um, 
That, that's a really open-ended question, so I'll try to be as direct uh, or as closed on the... the I, I'm not big on what it, what it date looks like or, or, who, or what age that happens. I'm real big on what it looks like. So if you want to date, I don't care if you date, let's define what that means. And so even when this boy started dating my daughter, uh, they did things as a group. They did not spend time one-on-one together. That's not something they did unless they were with us. They didn't hang out by themselves in places. And so and if they want to call each other boyfriend and girlfriend, now they were 17. If she had wanted to do that at 14, I probably would have held back on that. But I try not to draw real deep lines in the sand and give them instead just attributes of why would God, what would God ask you to do in these circumstances instead of saying a, a time frame? Because everyone's different. My 19-year-old's never had a boyfriend. My 23-year-old has had one boyfriend, two boyfriends, and, and you know, she's not done well on the emotional side. She's given her heart away, and, and she's had to suffer the consequences because of emotional promiscuity that, that's really hurt her. Her heart has really hurt. And so I, I would just have all those kinds of conversations along the way so that they realize. Now, I've seen a lot of girls. Uh, we have a real close friend um, whose daughter was really tight with his boyfriend they were already talking they were 14 years old and they were joking about getting married and they went to a Halloween party dressed as husband and wife and those kinds of things and she had really given her heart away to this boy emotionally and while they were physically pure that was a really big deal when they broke up and the families were really good friends and the families are no longer good friends and this was something where the mom uh, of the daughter and the mom of the son were the ones really thinking it was cute and you know, God says that there's a reason for that. The two shall become one. And so if you're trying to become one outside of marriage, it just never works. There's always pain and anguish and lament and gnashing of teeth and all of those things. And so I would keep them away from that as long as I possibly could. I would try to protect them from that. And as people say things, I'm okay saying things to my kids that other people don't. My kids have always said, you're the strictest dad I know. So, I'm okay with that. Good. And we have we have a saying at our one one of our daughter's friends was named Cameron, and she would always say, "Well, Cameron gets to Cameron," and I would always just say, "I wish I was Cameron." And that would just be that'd be my response. You know, and the, the other thing is, they said, "That's just not fair." So, fairs in October. Just remember that. And so, uh, in the, October. Yeah, the fairs in October. Yeah. We, and then they just quit saying it's not fair. We don't use the knew. fair word at our house. Yeah. Life isn't fair. It's not supposed to be fair. Who told you life was fair? Um, so I think it's important just to, to make a stand and then stay with it. And it's okay if you're the strictest, meanest mom in the world. It's okay. I, I'm, I'm just good with that. Because I'm really more concerned about what God thinks about me as a parent than what my kid thinks about me as a parent. Right? And so the biblical standards, some of them are not black and white, but some of them are. And so I try to be creative. I try not to, you know, make a bunch of rules where there aren't rules. But I also try to come down pretty hard when there are. And just very specific of teaching the, uh, the precepts behind them. You know, a great thing to do with your kids at an early age, there's 31 Proverbs. It's one a day. Read a proverb every day. If you read the Proverbs, you can raise your kids on the Proverbs alone. You really can raise your kids on the Proverbs alone. 
And, and we spent a lot of time in Proverbs their whole growing up. So we, we could always go back to those and talk about those precepts. Proverbs 31. How many of the women in here know those, that verse? Proverbs 31, 31. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. What does that mean? we got to have those conversations. A lot of that's what we're talking about right now. The other thing that I think all along the way we tried to celebrate our kids and really set them up for success. Give them a vision for what God wants for them and then set them up for success. And we did that through ceremonies along the way where, where they would, there was milestones in life. Okay? And uh, the purity ring and the purity covenant that we did, and each of our girls was a little bit different, but uh, we did it the 12th Christmas of the 12th year. I mean, you could do it at 11, you do it at 13. There's no wrong or right time frame, uh, especially if you're talking about it. You know, but we made a big deal of that. And that became, we included our community. And I think you guys, did you pass out that? I mean, make it your own, however you want. But that's how we did it. And we had everybody in our community sign it. And they're making a covenant to, to, to stand before these people and make themselves accountable for these kinds of things. And just remind yourself. And my 21-year-old, she goes, she goes I never, and she goes, I, I don't go through a day where I don't really think about that. At some level, I look down at that ring and I just go, you know, this is a this is a gift and a blessing, to, and yet it's hard. I mean, she's getting literally getting ready to get engaged just at any moment. The, I shouldn't say this on tape. <laughs> Maybe she won't listen. He came to me and asked for her hand Wednesday, and it was a great moment. I mean, it's one of those, you know. I hope I only have that conversation three times in life, uh, but it's one of those once in a lifetime opportunities and moments and it was just sweet because they dated so well and I, and I always ask them so how are you doing in those three areas how are you emotionally and so she's lived in a, in a dorm her first year she lived in the sorority house the next two years and this year she's living in an apartment and so I said what's that going to look like he goes well I've decided I'm never going in her room I said great no reason to go in her room he goes even with the door open I said I got it he goes I'm never going in her room <laughs> Perfect. He goes, no, I just now want you to know, I'm never going in your room. I said, great, I, I get it. I'm going to ask you too, if you've ever gone in a room. So, and, and just continuing to have those kinds of conversations. Um, so we did the, the purity ring deal when they were around 12. And then the other thing we did is when they were 16, we would hand them a set of keys uh, on their 16th birthday, and we would talk about the responsibility you know when you go out and drive and here you know here's the rules and here's where you can go here's where you can't go and it's this idea of, of transferring life to them but there's a lot of things that happen in a car that are not great i've done most of them i mean just not a not a good thing if there, there's not a lot of instruction but that's a milestone in life to celebrate i really trust you i really believe that you're going to make good decisions i really believe that you're going to do the right thing that you're going to hang out with the right people and that you're going to have the right people in your car and you're going to you know be wise and, and you're not going to text while you're driving and all the things that we have to think about these days and then again when they're 18 and we use psalm 127 here uh, 127 19 19 or 20 it's the verse that says that children are a blessing they're like the arrows in the hand of a warrior blessed are the man whose quiver is full of them and the idea is, if, if you've ever seen an arrow, you know, it's really made up of three pieces. It's got the sharp end, it's got the stick, and it's got the feathers. But if you can imagine a warrior, back then they didn't have the academy where they could go buy them. Actually, they had to make them. So they had to hone a rock. They had to spend a lot of time on that. They had to get a straight stick. They had to 
you know, sand that stick and, and cut pieces off of it and put those feathers and fashion that whole thing so that, that it would have its best chance at flight. That's the picture there. Okay? But to know that that's going to work, you also have to release that, right? And so I think that's what that verse really is about. And so we do a release party when they're 18. And we'd celebrate it with all their community and their friends and our family and, and people in our community. And it's just an idea, hey, you've been raised right. We've gone through the Proverbs. We've gone through God's Word. You are ready to be released. And you're going off to college. And you're going to get to make decisions that you've never made before. And we trust you. And we believe the best for you. And so that's a huge moment in our family is that, that release party. And we do a big video. We try to make a big deal out of that. So they love having their friends come to that. And I'm sad that we're actually through with those because yeah. those were my favorite ones so far. And then the other one obviously will be when, when they're married. And that will be the last ceremony that we get to have in terms of, you know, it's kind of our four-step. Another friend of ours, when his daughters uh, turned 16, he did um, a monument kind of deal and, and it's the verse where it talks about how they went across the river and remember when God stopped the river so they could take the Ark of the Covenant across the river and then later they went back and stacked stones to remember remember this place remember, remember what God did here and so that's what he does is he invites all of her friends and they have all these rocks and they get the paint pens and they write things on the rocks for the girl and then in, the, in their room they have these buckets and these rocks are just stacked up and it's this cool monument that reminds them of the things that God has done. So figure out ways and celebrations and ceremonies to, to do with your kids. One, they're great teaching moments but they're also great moments of accountability for them to realize, look, everybody's watching. You realize everybody's here. Everyone here, and I always tell the group, I said, you're here, not just because you're her friend, but also because she's asking you to hold her accountable. Mm -hmm. When I marry people, that's what I say to uh, the congregation that's there. I say, hey, they're here. You're a witness to this. They're asking you to hold them accountable Mm -hmm. for their marriage and the choices that they make. Tell us. The other ceremony that can be especially kind of geared towards boys, because not every boy's going to wear a ring. But right. we've had some friends that have been real creative on the boy mm-hmm. side. Yeah, Kyle, there's a great book out there called Raising Modern Day Knights, which is on your book list. And it is an excellent book for boys, because boys get into that whole knight thing. And, and uh, a friend of ours, Kyle Thompson, some of y'all probably know Kyle, they went through the whole thing with Jordan. And it, and it was great. When, we, it, when he was 16, we kind of did a knighting ceremony. We all, you know, his granddad, both of his granddads were there, and our whole community group there, all the men were there. And we went in a you know, manly stake, and, <laughs> and Kyle presented him with this sword. And it was a real sword. I mean, it was a real knight's sword. And it was cool just to just literally knight at the young man, but went through the precepts of what it means to be a man. And that's what that book is about. What is it? You know, a man rejects passivity. A man uh, provides. A man, you know, all the things that a man is supposed to do and go through those verses and and uh, start talking to your boys about that stuff early too. Because that's, uh, I, there's a lady at my office. She's a single mom and she has two little boys and just, she's gotten that book and because her husband's not able or I don't know if he's not able he's not well they're divorced so he's not there she's going through the book with the boys and, and they're loving it they're having all kinds of fun you know drawing pictures and talking about what knights do and but then there there's a lot of meat to it too and Robert Lewis wrote that book he's a guy that did men's fraternity also so there, he's got a lot of uh, perspective on men and how they think 
So yes. This is probably a silly question, but what's your guys' opinion on the whole princess thing and brought the things that just love to be princesses and all that? You know, to me it's harmless, but I'm just curious. I love it. Yeah. We still, I still say that to them. I said, you're a daughter of the king. And we have a, a daughter that's uh, been dating a guy um, that we've just found out some things about. And she's broken up with him. And he's turned out to be um, maybe not such a great guy. And just talking to her because she, her heart is kind of broken. And I told you how she'd kind of probably given her heart more to this boy than she should have. And so she's really suffering and struggling uh, with the breakup for that very reason. And it's been really, we've had lots of good conversations. And I've talked to her about, I mean, you are a daughter of the king. You are a princess. And you need to be treated like a princess. I've told my girls that from when they were little bitty, that that's how a man treats a woman. And if you get in a situation where a, a boy or a man is not treating you like a princess, run for the hills and call the king in this deal. And, and I will bring all my horses and men, and we will take care of that boy. <laughs> I got to drive to Fayetteville, I and mean, I got a 911 call from her about some some things uh, on a Wednesday night. And I got up the next morning and drove all the way to Fayetteville, and she felt really cherished by that. She's like, I can't believe you're here. I mean, you rearranged your whole day just to come up here. I said, yeah, I just want you to know. This is how much I think of you, and, and, and this is my privilege and responsibility to be your dad, your protector, your advocate. So... Yeah, Your night. Yeah. We often went to verses like in Psalm 139, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, they, along with not wanting them to put a lot of stock in their physical beauty, but they need to know they are cherished, they are beautiful in God's sight, beautiful to us. And um, those same verses in Psalm 45 about you're a daughter of the king, I mean, that is... That only elevates a woman, and not in a boastful way, but, you know, I serve a king. and I mean, that is just, those are great verses to just have. I mean, even as older women, we need to know that, you know, whose we are, and, you know, the beauty, the physical beauty might fade, but, I mean, when you're building up what's inside, that's the important thing. So. And how you treat each other is the best way to love your kids. I mean, you all know that. You've all heard that. But it really does matter. A girl will have more confidence and see how a man is supposed to treat her by men how you treat your wives. And they will. that's what they'll expect. And the higher the bar you have on that, the higher the bar they'll have on that. Uh, men that are passive are going to have daughters that don't get all that they should get. And, and sons that have mothers that are uh, usurping the role of, of their husband are going to have daughters that are going to usurp the roles of their husbands. So it's important that they each see you love each other well. And, and little boys are going to pick up so much uh, by how a man treats his mother. And so the best way to love your kids is to love each other. And there, there are... And I intervene often, and you can imagine, we had four girls in our house, so there's all kinds of things that happen with four girls living in the same house, uh, going through those teenage years, um, the physiolo- physiological things, you know, everybody gets on the same schedule, if you know what I'm talking about. I mean, that, those are really trying times, uh, or can be, and just talking about the, that kind of stuff openly, but just being able to 
forbear one another, just what she was talking about a minute ago, and making sure that we love each other well, and, and they get to see us when we're not communicate those kinds of things in front of each other. They've seen us, certainly seen us bicker and argue and fight, but they've also seen us make up. They've also seen us, uh, me ask Sherry's forgiveness and humble myself and say, you know, the way I just spoke to you was really inappropriate, and I need to ask your forgiveness. And so that, that's been modeled for them. And the same with Sherry the other way. The way I, I just did that, that really usurped your authority, and that's just wrong, and I need to ask your forgiveness for that. So they, they get to see that kind of stuff often. Yes. One twenty-seven. It was one twenty-seven-four, I think. About in the children hand. in the hands of the warrior. Yeah, yeah. in the hands of the warrior. Um, we have a whole ton of topics. Um, we've done this for so long. I mean, this is the talk right here. It's about 75 pages. So I don't want to bore you with all of this. And not all of it's about purity. But um, I'll just throw out some of the topics and you guys can just ask questions. We want to make sure that if any question you have. And, and some of this stuff, you're thinking, well, I don't know if, if there's any single parents in here. But sometimes with single parents, it's some of these things seem harder. But you can still have the same conversations. You can still have... Uh, those same things and, and I grew up in a single parent home I mean God fills in in ways that are amazing so just trust the Lord and and uh, pray through a lot of that so um, yes On that handout I gave you are some resources at the very top. Passport to Purity is good stuff with Dennis and Barbara Rainey, and they have it for both sides of that. Um, the the one that Sherry said was uh, what's her name again? Ridley, Mary Flo yeah, Ridley. Mary Ridley yeah. uh, you could probably just Google her name. I don't know what the name of her stuff is, but she does a really good job. And, and she starts, you know, at a really early age, talking about acorns and apples with seeds, and mm. you know, then graduates to kittens, and you know, as they get older. And so, those conversations are always kind of had. Um, the there's, internet. Do you want to talk about the internet? Yeah. The other thing is computers. You know. There's a lot of stuff. I talk to my kids all the time about texting and all those kinds of things. And I just ask them questions more than anything. But with all the social networking that's going on right now, I mean, we're growing a, a, a functionally illiterate people in my mind. People that can't carry on a conversation, but they can sit there and text. And kids today would rather text each other than have a conversation. And so I would just talk to them about what that means to have a relationship with another person. I mean, a friend. You can't be a friend over the Internet, right? I mean... People do it, but it's just something about that just seems weird. You know, that that my best friend I've never met and they're on the internet. I mean that. Okay, how, how does that work? And so I just always. The other thing is, in our house, the computer was always in it when they were little. Especially there was one computer, and it was in the family room, and the screen faced outwards. So they could never hide behind that. And also, I always had access to their email accounts until they were a certain age. Um, I wanted to be able to read their emails. I wanted to be able to read what people were sending them, what kind of things they were communicating about. So I said, don't be using your email as your, as your journal, as your diary. I'm not going to ever read your diary. You can write in that whatever you want. Your email is public domain. 
and just let them know that because there's a lot of things that will happen um, my daughter was sent uh, she was probably 13 or 14 and she was sent some photos by another friend it was a girl sent her some nude photos of this naked woman because the girl thought it was really funny dad didn't think it was so funny and she was scared to death when she got it and I got to go have a conversation with that girl's dad and he didn't see it quite the same way I did but nonetheless that you know those are the kinds of things that happen and and this was at a Christian school you know I mean we all know that happens everywhere right but don't think because you're at a Christian school that kind of stuff can still happen and it is and we noticed like with texting they would say things that they would never say in person you know and it just got real a real slippery slope there so we just you know I wouldn't text something that I wouldn't say to someone and just kind of and you know we had the rule of not calling boys and and all of that too I'm just you know we're the old fashioned couple we were okay with that but you know we, we heard really quickly from our friends with with boys he said the girls call all the time and I just thought I'm so glad that you know they're not saying that about my daughters that they're I mean we just didn't we just didn't think that was good for them uh, yeah no I think that's a good question um, I think when they start driving yeah they had their own cell phone probably when they started driving that was 10 years ago too I mean I mean, I, I don't know why you wouldn't or would I think you just have to think about the kid and what their needs are I think having a cell phone there's a lot of safety reasons why you'd want a kid to have a cell phone uh, what they might have access to on that cell phone may change as they get older so yeah and I'm, did we ever have a block I mean I know there's lots of good blocks on the computer um, we kind of just had the conversations and just had the one computer so it was but if they had their own, I know a lot of high schools now, you get your own laptop. And so you, you know, going to have to have more conversations about that. They're going to have access and they can take it into their room. We, I, we built a house and wired every room for a computer. And then as soon as we moved in, we realized, no, we're not going to do that. I mean, they have their own computer now when they go to college. And at that point, like the caller, I mean, our training's done and they can really see. That's up to them and the Lord now. Um, but... It's just a gradual kind of loosening up on that. But the blocks are good, and I think especially if, you know, you've got the 11 and the 7, I mean, you just don't want to have a bunch of that coming into your home. Um, do you all know who Dennis and Barbara Rainey are? I keep mentioning them. Uh, they have Family Life Conference, and they have a lot to say. Going back to your question about dating, just what he says is that uh, he didn't even allow mixed groups of teens until they were 15. Uh, double dates or group dates usually at 17, maybe earlier depending on the kid. And single dates, he says these are generally discouraged but allowed in certain circumstances. So that was kind of his take on it. Um, he's a very smart guy. He's raised great kids, but I, I just I looked at it a little differently. So, yes. I would have the conversation before they're doing it, and that's going to happen probably around 11 or 12. Once once you start seeing hairs on their face, it's probably too, you've gone past that time. But I think that's a great conversation. I actually do have some stuff on that. Um, 
And it's not just boys, by the way. That's a conversation you have with girls, too. And, and I actually did have that conversation with my daughters, which as awkward as that was for her and my daughters. Um, but there's some great stuff on that. I mean, here, here's the, prim- the precepts behind that. I'll just kind of read through this. Um, I'll just read you what I've written here. That'll be the best way. And I can send you some of the stuff if you really want it. It says, One of the biggest mistakes we can make on the subject of masturbation is to be silent not discuss it at all. Most young men especially will deal with this issue, so the more information and understanding they have, the better. Obviously, masturbation can also be an issue with girls. As with boys, real relationships, not fantasy, are the goal. Self-stimulation may be increasing among women because of the messages of the culture, some of them from extreme feminists like, do this yourself, you don't need a man. With boys, this subject can be uh, broached by dad and honestly discussed. Mom should discuss this subject with girls. This is Den- Part of this comes from Dennis Rainey also, and he has a real division on how he wants to do dads with boys, girls with moms, and I don't think he's wrong, but I also don't think I'm wrong. I had the conversation. Uh, but here, here's the observations, things to deal with. Masturbation betrays the natural function of the sex act as God created. Sex was not created for a solo, but for a duet. God gave us sexual urges to move us to deeper intimacy and unity in marriage with the opposite sex. Um, masturbation is primarily focused on self, while sex and marriage is focused on the other person. See 1 Corinthians 7, 3-4. Why would God want us to spend our single years after puberty learning how to use the gift to satisfy ourselves when the nature of sex is to seek to find the way to satisfy your spouse? There's already enough selfishness in the culture that needs to be eradicated. I believe the higher road is to teach our sons and daughters to learn the discipline and self-control that will have to be practiced as a single person later in marriage when refraining from sexual intercourse. Um, Masturbation can and often does lead to other forms of behavior, lust, use of pornography, sexual addictions that are destructive both now and later in marriage relationships. Marriage isn't a fantasy. It's a real relationship with a real person who won't always measure up to your dreams. Because the fantasy nature of masturbation and other sexual sins are so closely related, I would have grave concerns about telling my son or daughter that these forms of sexual behavior are okay because I would have no way of knowing where their practice might lead. And the, biblical, the biblical prescription to singles who are struggling with sexual lust and temptation is to marry, not to masturbate. 1 Corinthians 7, 8, 9. Paul here could have, could have provided physical relief for those who lack self-control and burn with unmet sexual needs, but instead he points them to marriage. So those are kind of the four things I would look at. I know not everybody in the Christian world agrees with those, but that's just where I kind of land on that. And... Um, I'm not sure I've said that word that many times in one sitting when it's been recorded before, but thanks for asking that question. Glad we got that one. That's because that is a good one to talk about. Any questions about that? Everyone think it's too awkward to ask a question? About that? Are they believers? I would definitely have the conversation with them, and just and, and I would have it gently. But I would let them know that what you have seen firsthand, I'd give them specific examples of what you've seen and tell them your anxiousness around that with your girls. And, you know, depending on how they handle it, I'd go from there. Yeah, that's hard, like with family. I mean, my my family is very permissive with movies and you know, they, they, my mom and dad always thought we were just so strange for not letting our girls see certain things. And, 
and, and you know, when they were babysitting at the time, we would have to kind of clearly define how that looked because we didn't, you know, and it can get awkward and, you know. And, and we have three boy cousins that are basically the same age as our three daughters. And uh, they're really close. They're all really close. But those boys didn't view life the way we did. They didn't really have a biblical perspective. They didn't grow up with a biblical perspective. And so some of those conversations, because I'm my daughter's advocate, I'm having with that. You know, because I'm there. It's not like I can choose to not be around. They're there at Thanksgiving. They're there at Christmas. And so we, we've we had, I've had the conversations with the boys as they've gotten older. And I've pulled them aside and said, look, you get to make all the choices you want on your own, but you cannot have that conversation around my daughter. And just know that I will do whatever I need to do as a dad to be her advocate. And I'm asking you man to man, and this was when he was older, to not communicate that way in front of my daughter. And they, and they respected it. I mean, I have a relationship with them. So. Other questions? Let me try to give some other... Uh, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> I like it. That's good. Um, I, I think it depends on the kid. Our oldest daughter, we had it in installments just because of her running out of the... Our youngest one, I had the whole conversation all at once. We had it together with her. Um, we were very explicit on all of it. Uh, and she was probably 11. 10 or 11. Or 11. So I, there's all kinds of, in, in the stuff that I gave you, there's all kinds of different ways you can have the conversation. Um, I think just having it sometimes is the way to do it. Just begin and, and use the proper terminology. And as awkward and as embarrassing it may sound, yeah. And tell them, this is awkward for me too. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. I think that they can tell anyway and just being honest and not acting like you know I gotta have this I, this is a joy to be able to walk through this with you and I would give your life experience I mean just like I did my parents never talked to me about this and I and I made some bad choices not blaming them but because I I never thought about it and so I really want you to be prepared and I want you know I want you to hear this from me because they're going to hear it, and they, you know, they hear all kinds of stuff, and half of it's wrong. But, you know, kids start talking about it. They do. And I want you to know you can always come to me and ask me anything. And if I don't know it, we'll find out together. I mean, you know. So I think just having that kind of relationship and just not acting like you have it all together, but going, this is as awkward for me as it is probably for you to hear. But, you know, because God has me as your shepherd for this time. Right. First of all, I don't think it's always appropriate. I mean, I think you can go, we're not going to talk about that right now. I think it's okay to push that off for a little bit. I think it depends on the age. Yeah. But Cherry's, I I made the decision I would answer any question they asked. And so if they asked those kinds of things with me, I didn't mind answering those. Because you're going to run up that the rest of your life. And I understand the fear. Believe me, I understand that fear. But they're not going to take that as a license. In fact, God is going to use that in their lives to say, look, I've been here. There's no life here. I thought there was life in this thing, and there isn't. You know, my deal was drugs. I did every drug known to man before I was in eighth grade, often. And, you know, that's not something I'm proud of. 
but I can tell them about what that experience is and how there's no life there. You don't have to go there. And, you know, they haven't. So didn't give them a license to do that. Sherry had the conversation with them about the, um, you know, her past relationship with that boy. And that helped them, actually. It's like, wow. They were, um, well, two of them were in college, 15, 17, and 19. And I knew the older two would have never asked. When you kind of know your kids and, like, they, they, they would just assume that you had, you know, been pure. And I knew they were going to never ask. And I knew Audrey would. I knew it. And so I just kind of waited for the day. And it was she and I. And she looked me straight in the face. And I just, you know, I kind of skirted around it. And, yeah, okay. But I, I think you would say that you, looking back, that you would have maybe done it earlier now if you had the opportunity. Maybe. I don't know. It was pretty painful. But on the other hand, they got to see, you know, God's redemption. I mean, I just said, you know, I have... It was just a beautiful moment for them to know that I I don't walk in guilt and shame. I walk in true forgiveness and, and didn't define me. It wasn't, you know, that's a part of my life that it's just... It's been covered with the blood of Jesus. I mean, they knew that. And so, but I, I, I do think that there's a certain time where, you know, they don't need, I don't think you have to unload and tell them too young. So. I think as a lot of those questions come up to, you'll, you'll know how to handle, you know, that moment as it happens. So. I always go into those conversations though with lots of prayer, making sure that you know, because there's a lot of opportunity to miscommunicate. Yes. One aspect of I think that a, 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 the nature of humanity I mean, for, for me especially is, is the more I think something's wrong the more I want to do it and so I would probably focus on how sex is a gift it's a beautiful thing and God wants you to experience it under his protection and here's why and I would go through just those those precepts of, of how it adds life and ask them questions look at the history that you've been around has this added life is it taking away life? I mean, again, sex is a beautiful thing, but... Um, I'm very visual, and so the analogy of a fireplace and a fire worked really well with me. I mean, a fire, there's nothing I like better than to sit by a fireplace and it's cold. But you take that fire out of the context of its confines, and it's devastating and very destructive. And so I think that's a good visual for kids just to kind of, you know... Fire is great in those confines, and then take it out and let it go unleashed, and it it will harm you. So, and and they experience that, so they can understand that. So, 
Yes. Yeah, I think that's great. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a good question. Um, I would just take the opportunity if I could. And if I was at a place where I couldn't, you know, I would obviously put it off. But I would take that opportunity as they happen. Um, sometimes you don't get those opportunities again. Our, our kids would come home from being out. Our, you, I don't know if this is true with boys, but it's really true with girls. The best time that we had with our girls is when they would come home at night after they'd been out with their buddies. And, About and so, 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, 11 o'clock at night on were the best conversations that we had. Um, and a lot of that kind of stuff, that's where a lot of these kind of conversations, not, not the period, I mean, we obviously started when they were young, but a lot of the more detailed kind of conversations that we had happened when the opportunity was there. So... One of the um, one of the things that moms can do is just really help the girls with the dress. You know, I think we have a pretty big issue with that here at church. Even I think you can see on Sunday morning that that's a pretty serious issue where girls they just do not dress, and they say that women dress for other women. Well, yeah, but men are watching. Remember that. And so, and I've heard women say, "Well, well I don't care what he thinks. He's just going to have to get over it." You know, as, as a Christian woman and using biblical precepts of how you want to... Really, that's your answer? I mean, that it's about how fashion... You can be fashionable and not dress inappropriately. They don't, it's not a mutually exclusive thing. My mother is a fashion model. I grew up with her being a model. She was the first Kim Dawson model. I grew up backstage at the Apparel Mart uh, on the runway. I mean, I've seen all of that. I get it. It doesn't have to be that way. There are ways to be fashionable and be appropriate. So, And I really think that it's really hard for women to understand how men think in this area. And so, women, you're going to have to really lean into this with your husband. And, and guys, you got to really kind of step your game up here on at least knowing what some of the fashions are so you can have those conversations so that it isn't, well, just put this sack over your body and you'll be fine. Uh, but my, my daughters do ask me about bathing suits and dresses. To this day, they still do. And, and when they're, it's just a bunch of girls that are at our house swimming and they're tanning in the backyard. That's a different deal than when there's a bunch of boys at our house and they're hanging out. Those bathing suits do look a little different. So. No, I, I never had, I, I'm not, as you can probably gather, I'm not a real rule person. So I know there's probably some good guidelines out there. and You could probably call Providence or Trinity and figure out what those are and links of all that stuff or spaghetti straps or not or all that stuff. I, to me, it's just a what I think looks like you're being modest. And so it's a little bit subjective. And they know, and, and different body types are different too. I mean, my oldest and youngest are, you know, large-breasted women, and they have to wear different clothes than the middle one can get away with. It just, it just, it just is. 
And so having them be aware of their body type. And we, we saw this like with the whole cheerleading thing. You know, everybody's showing their tummies and, and all that stuff. And it's not that I'm against showing tummies per se, but you've got some body types that those girls just feel, you know, they're sitting around like this, but they have to wear that uniform to be on that team. And I just think that's where I, you know, we can help people out. Uh, I had a conversation with our one of our girls did the cheerleading thing. I said, look, you just need to change these uniforms because we're just not going to do this. So this isn't fair to have every girl on the team wear the same thing. Not every girl can wear this. It's not right to make someone feel really bad about themselves because the little bitty one looks cute in it. And they did. They actually changed what the uniforms were and tried to listen to that. And luckily, she got through that cheerleading phase pretty quickly. <laughs> I'm not against cheerleading, by the way. So. <laughs> Just for the record. Oh, I like that. That's good. I'm all about slogans. That's helpful. It does help them. Um, our girls ran cross country, and one of the things at uh, where they went to high school, Highland Park, and that's where they went to high school, and, and cross country is a big deal there, and it's a great culture, and the girls are great, and all that. And they have, the, but every year they do a picture where they're all in their sports bras, and my daughter's just like, I'm not doing that, and they stood in the back, and they kind of hid behind other people. So, <laughs> and, and then as the younger girls came through, they kind of pull them aside and say, Hey, look, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. And it's just more of a modesty. They, they they did not want to run in a sports bra out in the open. That was just not something they wanted to do. And so. Uh, and it just took one. It took one just kind of going, I'm not going to do that. And then a, a whole group just said, okay, now we have the freedom. But, you know, kids, the peer pressure thing is huge. And they will, you know, if everybody's doing it, they think they have to. So just encourage them to be, their, be themselves and you can be that one. There's so much pressure, like bikinis and all that stuff. On which part? Two-piece, yeah. Well, I think there's some two-pieces that are more modest than one-pieces. Uh, so are you talking bikini, bikini, or are you talking two-piece bathing suit? I don't know, man. I got, I guess two-piece, you know, my girls. I don't know. We were always more one-piece oriented. I mean, at camp, they could not wear two pieces, so that was easy. The camp rules, which made it nice. Mm-hmm. But there's, you know, there's some fairly modest tankinis that are different. And there's some really modest one pieces. So I just wouldn't get. Yeah, yeah I, I just wouldn't get too caught up. I mean, you'll know. If, and, and that's where you just got to let. You, you got to lead out on that. And, and Cherry and I, sometimes she's just like, I just disagree with you. I said, I understand. I'm okay with that. And at the end of the day, though, you have to understand how a man thinks, and you're never going to. And it's just hard for a woman to see how us guys, our minds work. It's really difficult. I don't. You're you're not equipped or wired to think that way. Thanks the Lord. It'd be a really weird world if that were true. So.
be direct for them. Yep. Yeah. Let me pray for us. Any other questions? We'll stick around here for a minute too if, if anybody has any questions. Okay. She said uh, when both of you disagree with something, go with the one that has the stricter rule. I never thought about that. I don't know. That's. I guess it would depend on what it was, but it seems like a... First plus seems like a reasonable thing. That's good. Lord, we do thank you for this time again. And just thanks for uh, who you are in our lives. Lord, we know that you set standards for us in in areas that we want to fight against. And all the things that I've talked about here today, Lord, I know I want to fight against. But you have these for our protection. So help us uh, give our kids a vision for what it would mean to stand there uh, at the altar and be able to face the crowd and know that they are able to give something to their husband that no one has ever been given. What a great view that is for our children. And Lord, while that may not be some of our stories here, Lord, we know that you can redeem us and uh, that you take away and, and you fill in what the rust has eaten and what the moth has eaten. Thank you for that. We thank you for your son and the redemptive nature of who you are. Amen.